Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. For joining me here this morning on Prison Focus Radio here at KPOO 89.5 San Francisco. We are going to continue our, our 
discussions, the promotion of the Prison Lives Matter Liberate Our Elders webinar that is going to be coming up here the first weekend of August, 4th through 6th. I hope you have marked your calendars. I hope you are planning to attend. I hope you have been seeing uh, the flyers. Uh, you can always reach me Nube, you can always reach me, Nube, your host here on Prison Focus Radio, at endslaverynow, the number nine, at gmail.com. Um, if you are not seeing the flyers, if you have questions and comments for me, that would be great. I hope to get back into the studio one of these days. But for now, we are going to spend the hour hearing from Kwame Beans Shakur. He is a political prisoner in an Indiana state prison, and uh, he is the co-founder of Prison Lives Matter, along with Shaka Shakur. He is also the co-organizer of this webinar. It is a tri-state webinar. We are talking Illinois, we are talking New York, and we are talking California. So we are going to be uh, this uh, webinar, again, is taking place August 4th through 6th from Chicago, New York, and Oakland. Oakland will be uh, Sunday, August 6th from 2 to 5 p.m. But um, Kwame Bean Shakur, again, is, um, is a political prisoner, a young political prisoner, who has a 110-year sentence, unjust, set up, framed, uh, the, the, the kind of, you know, the, the corrupt uh, and, you know, misconduct of, of prosecutors and lawyers and judges. Um, again, so here is this young man who um, has been uh, set up to now endure, uh, is facing a 110-year sentence. So there is a campaign to get him free, something we will also be talking about uh, more in depth at another time. But this definitely relates. Um, this is in real time, uh, the, the focus on the freeing our political prisoners, our prisoners of war, and um, the state of the state, uh, the oppressor, and their genocidal practices. So uh, with young Kwame uh, behind enemy lines and with our elders out now uh, who were captured, again, for fighting for their uh, the rights of their people and fighting for their liberation, fighting for their sovereignty, uh, many of them are still behind the walls as well, and we want them home, free them all free all political prisoners and prisoners of war. We are planning this Prison Lives Matter Liberate Our Elders webinar, and we hope that you will be there again August 4th through 6th. We are going to spend most of the hour hearing from Kwame Bean Shakur. We'll be hearing some music by Kwame, and we'll be finishing up with part one of an article by Prime Minister Balagoon. All right, I think it's going to be a great show. Here we go. Good morning, everybody. I've got... Kwame Bean Shakur here this morning with us. This is such a blessing. And of course, for those of you that have been listening, uh, you know that he is no stranger to these airwaves. And um, we are going to be talking about, as we have been talking about all through the month of July, about this uh, Prison Lives Matter 
Liberate Our Elders webinar that is coming up on August 4th through 6th, 2023, and we need you all to get there. So Kwame is one of the uh, co-organizers uh, uh, and uh, planners of this amazing webinar that we're so looking forward to. And um, we are going to be hearing from him about um, all the ins and outs of why, when, where uh, everybody should be around these webinars. So thank you, Kwame, for joining me here this morning. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor and a blessing to be able to hear ways out there in the Bay. Beautiful, beautiful. So listen, I was thinking because uh, we are still feeling the, you know, just the deep impact of the serious ripple effect of um, the passing of Dr. Matulu Shakur onto the ancestors. So I was thinking it would be good and you to share that um, that uh, familial name. And so I um, would love to just start with um, either some some thoughts, some silence um, around uh, Dr. Matulu Shakur and uh, you know from your from your perspective and from your heart space. Yeah, most definitely. You know, what I'm saying like you mentioned, everybody in the movement, especially those of us who had the the blessing to experience personal correspondence or a personal relationship with him. Um, we're definitely feeling that loss, and it hit hard, and it just it really gave us the fuel to go even harder with these Liberate Our Elders webinars and panel discussions. Because as everybody knows, is familiar with his case, he should have never been held captive to begin with, and even once he was eligible for parole, continued to deny his release based on the so-called nature of his crime. The same way they're doing a lot of our elders that they didn't give life without parole to. And the fact of the fit is that the nature of the crime is never going to change, even if they live somehow to be 150, 200 years old. So they essentially still gave our brother a death sentence. And what really angered me and still angers me every time it's been brought up since this transition and is the fact that the state still killed him and basically gave him back to us so that we could watch him die. So we still have to just take some type of solace and comfort with the fact that he was able to come home and be around his family and meet his grandchildren in person. Oh, yes. Uh, thank you so much for that. Yeah, because it's a, it's a real hit to, to the spirit um, uh, to, have, to have these oppressors have this kind of sick control over the lives of our beautiful people. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and just moving along with, um, uh, like you said, just going harder to make sure that we um, are doing everything we can to get our elders home. Of course, right now um, you are feeling that inspiration, but what else, you know, what, what inspired you? What, what made you um, want to put this webinar together, um, organize it, and um, and and uh, include the liberation of our elders. Let me get a little deep into the politics with my answer. Um, but for those who aren't familiar, we had the International Tribunal 
on U.S. human rights abuses against black, brown, and indigenous people in October of 2021. And in a historic and monumental conclusion, international jurors from around the world found the United States guilty of genocide on all five counts. And those counts included police racism and violence, mass hyper-incarceration, the violations of international law on the existence of political prisoners and prisoners of war, environmental racism, and public health equities. And from that time, a number of our leaders and organizations around the nation have been figuring out how do we move that guilty verdict forward, how do we apply it, when we move these cases forward and in our organizing efforts. And um but that came about was the People Senate, which is uh exactly what it says, a Senate body is aimed to give full and complete and effective voice and representation to black, brown and indigenous people. And when we talk about others like Dr. Matulu Shakura being political prisoners of war, one of the things that gives that standing through international law and in the context of them being POWs, the fact that they were members of a colonizing oppressed nation that was fighting for the liberation of their nation, which is the Republic of New Africa and the New African nation. And so when we're championing these individuals as POWs and freedom fighters under international law, the international community and even the oppressors that we're fighting against, like the UN and the United States government, they're going to want to know what nation did these individuals belong to that gave them this status of POWs and political prisoners, you know what I'm saying, that afforded them to not be charged as criminals, but where they should have been charged as political prisoners belonging to said nation. And so when we're reaching out across the globe and all over the nation looking for that international support and these allies, they're going to want to look and see where is the oppressed nation, where is the governing body, or where is the people Senate that represents these individuals and these organizations. Because otherwise, all we are and all these individuals are is just oppressed, uh, angry, radical African-Americans and blacks, which we know that we're not. And so all these panels and these webinars are coming up next month are an attempt to move that guilty verdict forward and an attempt to introduce the rest of the nation and the world to this people sentence that we're developing. And so when we talk about liberate our elders, we can continue to look at that only in the terms of us going to the enemy class and demanding the compassionate release once these individuals are already sick or expecting the parole board to release these brothers and sisters when clearly their whole objective, their whole foundation is built on the retainment and the captivity of these individuals. So we have to develop that people power ourselves to liberate our others on an international level that truly gives us the power to um, be recognized as a sovereign and independent nation and body of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. And can you, would you be willing to go, I know you will be willing, <laughs> would you go into 
you know how I, I move. I always like to make things personal. I really want people to take this personally because we are, like, history, we've run up against history, right? These these elders embody a time that took place 50 years ago, let's say. I mean, think about that. They have been in prison, many of them, 30, 40, 50. Rochelle McGee um, is, is in prison for 60 years at this point, and he is still not free. So we have we have people that are living um, a history, but that is representing really also what's taking place right now, where people were, the, our elders, our freedom fighters, those that should have been um, given the political prisoner, the prisoner of war status before they got that status. They were activists, organizers, fighting for the liberation, the uplift of their people. And in Dr. Matulu Shakur's case, for instance, he was an acupuncturist um, wanting to address the needs of the heroin epidemic that was taking place um, in his community, right? The Black Panther Parties for self Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, um, addressing the brutality of uh, of of the police uh, wanting to feed their children, this uh, creating the free breakfast program, and these things now are also happening today. Um, so why is it and, okay? And and in relation to the fact that you're a young revolutionary, you have a, a case that is an unjust framed up case against you, and you're and you are. Uh, burdening a 110-year uh, sentence. I know you don't want to make this about yourself, but we are here in this moment and uh, where we are trying to, like you said, we want to honor our elders for everything that they have done. We want to release them uh, and put this on the national and international stage. But it's right here and right now. Can you Can you make a comment about what this means for us as uh, activists and organizers and individuals that want to um, honor their people, um, honor each other, take care of each other, defend ourselves without being criminalized for it, and how this relates to these to this webinar. And it's a yeah, big for question. Anybody, for anybody who's identifying as a revolutionary nationalist, as an abolitionist, it's our duty to understand the the history of these individuals that a lot of people celebrate and, you know what I'm saying, romanticize and like to quote and make T-shirts and all these different things, right, that truly don't understand the political nature of what led them to their current captivity, as you said, for 30, 40, 50 plus years. And that's why this panel and these webinars are so important is to not just bring this to the attention of the masses, but even to raise the consciousness and develop cadre within the ranks of our own organizations and in the ranks and uh, body of the new African independence movement and with Prison Life Matter and Spirit of Mandela within the, the current prison movement. Because a lot of people who are of my age, I'm 33 years old, a lot of people from my generation 
don't overstand the international law that these individuals and the as of the people right now are supposed to be protected under. And so I'm going to backtrack a little bit to give a little bit more context to what I was saying in terms of that international law and the protection of political prisoners and our freedom fighters. Yes. It says that when an individual or a group of people feels that they're being oppressed or colonized by another government or another group of people, they then have the right to wage a national liberation struggle or a people's war to be free and to declare themselves free and independent. And every individual on this earth has the right to proclaim their nationality and separate from any oppressive government that they find themselves under. So that's what our people were doing. That's what Brother Malcolm was on. That's what the Panthers were on. That's what the provisional government of the Republic of New Africa was on. And so in the course of that struggle, international law also states that during our course of struggle, if we encounter colonial violence and physical violence from the oppressor and its military forces, we then have the right to defend ourselves by any means, including armed struggle. And that's where the Black Liberation Army came from. Mm -hmm. It was in a direct response to the colonial violence and the COINTELPRO-TERR that was being put down on our people all across the nation. The assassinations and, you know what I'm saying, the firing squads that were put down on our national headquarters all across the nation. you know what I'm saying? We all are familiar with, with cases like, like Fred Hampton and Mark Clark. That was taking place all across the nation. Every city, every place where we had major activity and leadership, our people were being assassinated, they were being hunted down and captured. And so it's critical that we understand that and that we understand our role now as freedom fighters and as revolutionaries and abolitionists to take on that and move it forward because this international tribunal on U.S. human rights abuses against black, brown, indigenous peoples that took place in 2021, and this people Senate that's being developed now across the nation with international support is the first time in 50-plus years that we're really seeing our people operate as a true independent nation and a group of people with self-determination that's operating on a higher frequency. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people are such a neo-colonized and oppressed group of people that are suffering from mental slavery, cultural slavery, that even some of the most revolutionary militant individuals don't realize that we're struggling only within the ground rules that is being laid out by the oppressor. Meaning when we're organizing all these rallies and all these marches talking about no justice, no peace, and basically we're trying to play on the morality of these sick, twisted, fascist individuals. That's not going to cut it. You know what I'm saying? That's not how a group or a nation of people who truly wants to be sovereign and have their independence and their autonomy as a people operates. You know what I'm saying? We have to take our struggle to a higher level and we have to stand on international law and our international human rights. Absolutely. And would you say, I mean, I guess it's this is probably just rhetorical, but that I, what I hear you saying is, but as a body of, of people looking towards each other, 
because yes, we cannot continue to operate and try to, like you said, change the hearts and minds of our oppressor because that's you not have how it works. One minute remaining. That's not how it works. Um, are you able to call back? Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. So let's just leave there and we'll call then call right back. Thank you for using GTL. Why should people get involved with the People's Senate? Um, I'm gonna go to the People's Senate Explanation and Recruitment Manual, which I encourage all of the listeners and everybody who's involved with the prison movement and the outside movement to go to spiritofmandela.org and get their own copy of that explanation and recruitment manual so they understand what's going on. But in the mission statement, you know what I'm saying, it lays out that the goal of the People Center is fourfold to help publicize and promote all of the work that everyone is already doing. B, make the links between individuals and groups and potentially organize common projects to assist in developing collaborative efforts. C, develop new initiatives that can unite us on a national and international scale. And D, to elect a people's senate bringing forward the leadership of black, brown, and indigenous communities and providing an arena for discussion and exchange and for developing solutions to the problems faced by all. And then when it goes on to the mission statement, it states that the People Center is a historic initiative to put decision-making in the hands of the people and coordinate strategic action. The People Center will be a national cohesive network reflective of poor and working-class communities across the United States, its colonies and territories. We encourage participation from individuals and grassroots organizations, including activists, progressive and revolutionary organizations, workers, women, youth, environmental and healthcare advocates, academics and professionals, religious and community-based organizations, and more. The People's Senate is uniting with all willing to work together to protect, champion, and uphold the human rights of black, brown, and indigenous people, thus ensuring, ensuring the human rights of all people. So for anybody who's listening, and that doesn't hit you to your core, um, just the basic level of humanity, then I don't know what you're doing, and you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, yes, well, um, and, and I think, um, do you feel like, yes, ab- absolutely, and I think that is part of, in my mind, or how it feels to me and in my heart, is uh, I think this is, the the one such a um a big show of revolutionary love to to put forward an opportunity for us to come together and build this people senate this is a people senate that is not built it's for us to build together um because one of the and one of the things that has been starting to resonate for me Kwame um and that you've mentioned Many times, these protective measures that we have had all along to do the work that we are doing to be able to fight for our liberation and our sovereignty and how that has been denied us and criminalized. We have been, we have been told time and time again, we have no right to protect ourselves in so many ways. We have no right to protect ourselves from the state, from the oppressor, from these sick politicians and this is in and of itself is genocidal 
that the very work that we are doing on the ground to care for each other and to uplift one another and to um, uh, and to change our conditions is criminalized and divested from. And so we have to do that together. And this is that opportunity for, uh, this seems like a protective uh, measure for us to do our work, to be a part of this People's Senate. Does any of that resonate? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the word genocide. That's something that we're going to continue to highlight with these panels and webinar discussions. The people Senate and it needs to be included and understood in every line of the work that's taking place. Because, you know what I'm saying, you and I have talked about it, I'm sure, on this show before, that so many of our people, we've been miseducated and trained by the oppressor on these words and on these definitions and the lens that we've been told to view these things through. And so we look at genocide in such a narrow sense and we often look at it in an abstract world as if it doesn't directly apply to us, as if we aren't facing genocide right now in 2023. We tend to look at it in a foreign aspect of a group of people like Nazi Germany or somewhere where an entire religious group is being wiped out by another group is if that's not taking place with our people right now. So just to highlight that and break it down to people, like even in the most basic sense of the the term, the 1948 Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide, it states that genocide is defined as the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group as such, A, killing members of the group, B, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. D, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. And E, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. Mm -hmm. So let's start right there with E. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our yeah. very first contact with these individuals was a genocidal act of colonial violence of them forcing our children and our people to another group and they're being stripped of our nationality and our identity because every individual on this earth has a nationality and comes from a nation or a tribe. Nowhere else on earth are people identifying themselves as black and white. They have a national identity. And when you've been stripped of that and given a false racial social construct such as black and white, that's genocide. Absolutely. 100%. Because they've made us three-fifths of a human being yep. by putting these false slave labels onto us. Exactly. And so when we're talking about causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, we're suffering mental harm on a daily basis. We're suffering from mental and psychological colonialism, psychological violence, psychological terror, on a daily basis, every time a mom is scared to let 
her new African son or daughter leave that house or get in the car because what we just witnessed on TV, the public lynchings that they're broadcasting on TV just put out there with the intent to keep us in check. The same way that back in the day during chattel slavery, they would take that rebellious nigga and they would say, and put them in front of all the other members of the group and lynch them or tar and feather them and burn them in front of everybody else. So with that fear, that mental harm is burned and ingrained into the spirit and psyche of our individual group. And that's what's taking place right now. We're suffering from mental harm on a daily basis. Yes. Imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. That's what myself and countless others are suffering from right now as we're being locked up and given life sentences for more than a century during our most reproductive years where we're not able to reproduce and bring other members of our nation into society. All these things are genocide. All these things are colonial violence. And we have to make sure that we're clear and deliberate with the intentions of our words and our language so that people understand this genocide for exactly what it is. All right, people, excuse me. We ended up having a few uh, technical difficulties, so I had to cut some things out. And so you're going to hear me just jumping right into my question to Kwame. Why should your organization, why should the work that you're doing on the ground uh, be represented as part of building this People's Senate? So this is one of our last chances that we have as a group, as a nation, to move this forward. We don't have the time. We're not afforded, you know what I'm saying, the, the opportunity that we have right now to be working hand-in-hand hand and side-by-side side with those same individuals that we've been talking about for good 50 years, the world of freedom fighters, the what we call the high tide during the 60s and 70s. These individuals led this struggle, the Sekou Odingas, the Barao Sunni Ali's, the Daruba Bin Wahab, the Jalil Muta Kings, the Greg Shets. All of these people are still alive right now. They're involved in the People's Senate. They're involved with this webinar and this panel discussion taking place August 4th through the 6th. We're working in conjunction and unison with these individuals. All right, I have to jump in here because Kwame and I were experiencing quite a bit of interference while he was explaining and honoring the, uh, the, the fight that these elders who survived this war of uh, COINTELPRO from uh, the, the American government on these freedom fighters and how they endured it, how they survived it, and um, yeah, and what they had to endure in terms in terms of their their capture or their their death, what that meant to our communities and um, and those that survived it and are here and working with us. So um, now you're going to hear the rest of his comments um, as things started to uh, clear up. And then um, we are going to uh, then take a break with one of Kwame's, his hip-hop piece, uh, Cold World. 
and then get back into the conversation because we then continue to experience some um, some interference again. So things are a little um, just a little choppy because I had to cut some of those things out because they're unintelligible. All right, here we go. So how can we not give these individuals and the legacy of that movement of the Black Panther Party the respect that it deserves by continuing that fight and picking up with these brothers and sisters left off when they never quit, when they were held in solitary confinement for 10, 15, 20, 30 years in some cases. They just came home from 49 years. Dr. Matuga just came home basically to die. It was the only reason they let him out. DJ Denny. And beans, I'm with this track. I can definitely relate to this code, code word. Huh? Yeah. At 16, I caught a case of what me. Public defender offered me 50 years. I got a lawyer and got out in one. Think about the bitch that can't afford a lawyer. Huh? 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 Let's go. Let's go. Since the beginning, even when 
cause they tryna trick us. Nigga, get some land, set some goals, make some plans. Go and show them that we knowin' you can't hold a black man. Stop being ignorant, cause that man privileged. You would get off your work, you can go and get that. Only my cause who I'm with getting rich. Or they being rich, but just some real. I ask God to change my life and put me around motivation. I end up Rose truck bag. Three days later, just sitting back chilling. Thinking about some minutes. Told me section eight this here ain't. You can get it. We both came from ladies, so don't tell me reason you ain't eating. Cause it's about to be cut off to this cold world. And don't nobody give. Don't nobody care but us. And we stuck off in this cold world. They losing in the system. It's like, don't nobody feel it. No, we stuck off in this cold world. Yeah, we getting away with murder. Why you act like it's unheard of? We stuck off in this cold world. Got us living in this oppression. And wonder why we stressed. Cause we stuck off in this because we can't afford to sit around and wait for liberation to come for another 50 plus years, for another 400 plus years, and remain in the conditions and the circumstances that we're in right now as a people. And this is the, to me, this is the best opportunity that we have to move this thing forward and actually achieve national liberation and gain our independence. And never again will we have the opportunity that you and I have right now to be working side by side, hand in hand, with the individuals who led our nation and our movement at its highest level, what we call the high tide in the 60s and 70s. The, the Ruben Ben Wahabs, the Jalil Muntakins, the Sekou Odingas, the Bilal Sunni Ali's, we're working with them right now. They're involved in the development of the People Senate. They're involved with these panels and these webinars that's taking place August 4th through the 6th. We're on the calls with them. We're organizing with them. We're learning from them. We're developing these initiatives and these decolonization programs with them right now. You know, saying? We're not having to go back and read and study them as the way that we did Marcus Garvey or Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, you know, we weren't around at that time. These brothers and sisters are right here with us right now, and we're able to learn from the shortcomings and the setbacks, and they're giving us the science and the direction and showing us where the Black Panther Party failed, where the Black Liberation Army failed, how we were able to succumb to COINTELPRO because of our own failures to organize as cadre and develop the proper initiatives and tools to survive such a, a blow as COINTELPRO. And so at the same time, the reason people should come out and get involved to answer your question is because we owe it to the legacy and to the work and the struggle of those freedom fighters. As you mentioned, these people that then did 30, 40, 50 years, some of them 30, 40 years in solitary confinement, and they never gave up. They never laid down. They weren't silenced. Their revolutionary spirit wasn't squashed. It wasn't killed. Even Dr. Matulu, who was just let go to come home and die. That's the only reason he came home, because the pigs let him out to die. And he didn't come home to just lay down as we all would have respected. If he would have came home and we never heard a peep from him, but he came home and was speaking to the people, was speaking to the movement, getting on calls, letting us know that his revolutionary fire and spirit was still burning 
in him giving us the fuel to continue on and keep fighting the fight. And so that's why everybody should come up and get involved and acknowledge, you know what I'm saying, what's taking place with these webinars and panel discussions August 4th through the 6th because it's your duty, it's your obligation as revolutionary nationalists, as abolitionists, as freedom fighters, as human beings on this earth to show up and get involved and to do something so that the next generation doesn't go through what we just went through for 400 plus years. And anything short of that, I can't respect it. I got it, okay, but you're, just, you're bringing tears to my eyes. That is the, that's the uplift right there. Thank you. That is why we need to we need to be there. Yeah, the only last thing that I would say is again, just to highlight that what's going to separate the prison life matter, liberate our elders, panel discussions and webinars apart from a lot of other things that we've been doing is we're not showing up August 4th through the 6th to talk about what the problems are. We've been laid out. The books have been getting written for the past 50 years. We've been organizing protests, rallies, demonstrations, people's assemblies. You know what I'm saying? We have the International Tribunal. The issues have been laid out. Yep. This is about turning theory into practice and finding concrete solutions to the problems and we know what the solutions are as well so this is about bringing all the cadre all the people who are truly about this work and about that life to come together and establish a national agenda and a national strategy to move these programs for decolonization forward and to establish the people feeling in regions all across this nation And if you're not able to travel to one of these three locations, we ask you to go to at PLM National on Instagram and find out how you'll be able to stream these webinars. Go to supportprisonlives.org for more information on times and dates for the tri-state panel and webinar discussions. And go to spiritofmandela.org to learn more about the International Tribunal as well as the people Senate. All right. Thank you, Brother Kwame. We so appreciate you, again, giving of your time. Um, you um, are a shining example of what it means to be inspired by these elders and to be, to be the freedom fighter and revolutionary that you are as well. Thank you for the opportunity. Free them all, free to land. Free them all. All power to the people because the people do have the power. All right, beautiful people. Those are our marching orders given with revolutionary love. We are so fortunate. We are going to finish up uh, the show uh, with a part one of an article by Prime Minister Balagoon. Here we go. Thank you so much. Today I'd like to speak on the subject of the new African community and the adverse effect of our missing elders. The idea of African communalism has its roots in traditional forms of African social organization and civic structuralization. The communal social system is based on an ascriptive social hierarchy 
made up of four of, of a fourfold rubric of the main parts of a community. They are kinship, the traditional age ranking system, territoriality, and culture. Several factors contribute to the success of this social system throughout the great continent of Akibalai to this very day, whether in rural villages or urban enclaves. Historically speaking, men and women in the community all belonged to a traditional age ranking system, age sets, made up of those in the community who were close to them in age. Needless to say, age set membership was for life. As people got older, their age set passed through the various age grades until their age set earned the recognition of what is called Otumo and passed into the adult grade and passed into the adult grade, excuse me. This was done by completing a significant civic project. Most completed the Otomo, Otumo ceremony when their members were between the age of 40 and 50 years old. Once they have completed the Otomo, the senior age grades join the communal elders and share responsibility for governing the community's affairs. When they reached an advanced age, of course, they graduated to elder status, and the most distinguished amongst them assumed roles as governors of our nation. In fact, rule by elders, or chiefs, is still a common system of government in communities and nations throughout modern-day Akibala, and is known as geronocratic in political circles. Now, there is an aspect of this system known as Ituika, or the power transition writ, for both boys and girls of age 12. During a 90-day period, they are taught and trained in several fields, specifically in number one, how to behave as adults. In number two, how to give and command respect. In number three, how to be sexually responsible. In number four, how to follow the rules and customs of courtship. In number five, how to be responsible husbands and fathers, wives and mothers. Number six, how to be patriotic and at all times ready to sacrifice in the struggle of family, community, and our noble African genotype. Number seven, how to be strong soldiers and brave warriors in the face of pain, hardship, struggle, and death. Number eight, how not to collaborate with enemies of our nation. These young youth, were also taught and trained to understand the taboos of our nation and the anti-African behavioral patterns and social practices to look out for. For a period of 120 days after the Ituoga writ, the youth don't participate in any work. They devote most of their time and attention to learning the ways of their community and what their duties will be to their nation as full-fledged members of an African society. 
Now you ask, why is this important to us here in 2023? And moreover, how does it play into the effects or the efforts being made to transform the demonic, demoralizing, and degraded condition of our community? In order to destroy our families, destabilize our communities, and weaken our nationalist inclinations, the whole process of maintaining... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Let me start over. See, in order to destroy our families, destabilize our communities, and weaken our nationalist inclinations, the whole process of maintaining our internal cohesion was destroyed. In other words, our governing body of elders, our economic base, our self-defense mechanisms, and the entire system of defining ourselves and building our will to power was wiped out. Understand that intentional that the intentional destruction of the institution of Ituiga was the first blow to our nation and community. Once there was no longer an initiation system, our community structure collapsed, as did our socio-political, cultural, spiritual, traditional structures, which had protected our way of life, or what is called our folk ways, since time immortal. Remember to remember, never to forget, that the traditional social hierarchy of our community is always focused on the Sanum Banum, or the greatest good for the greatest number of our people, which is governed by our elders, who are at all times focused on the new African's ability to act as a collective. The intensity of our actions, the impact of our actions on others, and, in general, our capacity for historical continuity as a nation and a people. Remember to remember, never to forget, that there's a solution for each problem that we have. But each solution requires new Africans to do something. Actions are required. In fact, action will remove the mountains of doubt and fear that we have while simultaneously filling the valleys of despair that currently plague us due to the circumstances and conditions in the world. Needless to say, the position of the elders is as important today as it was in times gone by, as the lack of the paramount structure that elders used to control economic resources and access to land and on which to grow our own has left us hopeless, helpless, and looking to others for that which we should be doing for self. These elders not only protected our jointly owned land and property, defined community holdings, but levied taxes on members of other ethnic communities who established businesses in our communities so that we would have necessary funds on hand for community development projects. Most importantly, the elders of our communities served as judges and arbiters of local disputes so that gang violence didn't register as an issue in our community. 
a lot of youth today wonder why their parents always talk about, back in the day, uh, wax poetic about the old times and black power days. It is because we governed our own community and controlled our own collective fate. The elders in the new African community order had heard to a pattern of authority that was established by traditional customs that go all the way back to the great continent. And members had a clear notion of belonging to a community linked by common norms, values, and laws. And they stood accountable to their local communities and were responsible and required to abide by the established rules and practices of the new African nation. Remember to remember, never to forget. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Remember to remember, never to forget, that the elders were a collective group that pursued the new African people's interests on a state and local level. So they had to be properly rooted in the norms, values, and laws governing our communities and the rules and practices governing our nation. With this in mind, we must return to a social hierarchy that allows our elders to function in the appropriate fashion. Yes, and the primary impetus for the Prison Lives Matter Liberate Our Elders webinar. We need to free our political prisoners, our prisoners of war, our elders that have been subjected to the to a domestic torture program that had them in solitary confinement for decades who are still behind the walls and I'm talking about our hunger strikers here in California we have political prisoners that are not yet free we need to get them home we have political prisoners prisoners of war that are home and as Kwame said it is our duty to honor them and create the respectful space so that they can continue to do that magnificent work with us. We need them to do this work moving forward. We are our own liberators, but we cannot do this alone, and we must have our elders with us. All right, you have been listening to Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO 89.5 San Francisco. You might be live streaming at kpoo.com. We have been and will continue to be uh, discussing and in, in conversation around the Prison Lives Matter Liberate Our El Elders webinar that is going to be taking place August 4th through 6th. For more information or continuing information and updates, go to spiritofmandela.org. Uh, there you can also read the, the short four-page um, uh, you know, document about uh, of the People's Senate, which is really important. And you can also go to supportprisonlives.org if you want to know more about Prison Lives Matter. Get updates um, on, on Instagram at PLM National at Liberate the Caged Voices and also at CA Prison Focus. That will be CA Prison Focus as well. All right. Remember, we are here every Thursday, 11 a.m. 
on KPOO 89.5 San Francisco. This is Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host, Nube Brown. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer and all power to the people.